0: Today we're going to look at the coronavirus. Is it a pestilence and is it the beginning of sorrows? So much has been written in these last months about this deadly virus. Our radios churn out endless news programmes. The TV channels have frittered away hours of viewing while our newspapers print acres of newsprint. This pestilence continues to be an enigma and dare I say, an an anxiety to most of us. Schools have been closed, thousands are off work, small businesses and some large ones are tottering while our busy supermarkets are knocking up profits by huge increases in grocery and lavatory roll sales. This silent, pernicious pestilence is lurking in our streets, factories, hospitals, schools and in our homes, inconsiderate as to personage, prince, prime minister, bus driver, doctor, nurse, carer, youngster or even old age pensioners all have fallen victim to its lethal touch and still we see no sign of any positive remedy. Where does it come from? Is it man-made? Now that is a question which many have sought to answer. Is it an escaped virus from Russia or even a leak from China? Israel has even been blamed by some people. Thereby anti-Semitism has increased. Was it predetermined or adventitious? No one can tell and no one is likely to volunteer any information. Perhaps this is something to do with the beginning of sorrows where among other end time happenings pestilence is mentioned by Jesus in Matthew 24 in verses 7 and 8. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Or perhaps is it a trial of population subjugation and a harbinger to the new world order with an eventual one world government and a one world religion with just one leader for each? the Antichrist, and the false prophet. If this is indeed their strategy, then it certainly has been devastatingly successful. I will obviously not be able to answer such questions, but I shall look at some other possible comments from the Bible, the Word of God, which might be of interest. You know, there have been few audible voices nationally from the various mainstream churches as to this virus. I often listen to Thought for the Day on Radio 4. The Vicar of St Martin in the Fields is one of the few who had some very positive points for Christians. Not to be wishing for the normal to return. Rather look for something better each day as we go through life. Apart from advising the closure of church services and drastically limiting the number permitted to attend funerals, has anyone heard from those in government making any recent mention of God or of praying and prayers. Plenty about the Premier League closing and the Five Nations rugby games being postponed, the London Marathon cancelled and the Trooping of the Colour parade cancelled. And so, but for our nation, which incidentally the church dignitaries still claim to be Christian. Not a whimper. I somehow think the psalmist got it right as we watch our politicians and medical experts clamber awkwardly for words. Psalm 118 verse 8 It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord rather than to put confidence in man. And incidentally, this should include our everyday life. Not just at times like this virus pandemic or even at family funerals. Every day, trust in God. Reading through the Bible in the Old and New Testaments, there are numerous passages of prophecy. Many have been fulfilled, especially those from the Old Testament. A very simple example of such is in Isaiah 53, which gives an account of the trial and crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another prophecy about the birth of Jesus is in Micah 5, verse 2, and its fulfilment is found in John 7, verse 42. But there are many, many yet to be fulfilled. And this is one area where churches differ. But put simply, this is the problem. In the churches, there are many who are born again, believers, and are therefore also members of the church of Jesus Christ. As I explained, the prophecies relating to the future of the church and our world are scattered throughout both the Old and New Testaments. However, with the introduction of Replacement Theology, a false man-made teaching, the most common interpretation now accepted in Reformed churches is that prophecies which were promised by God to Israel thousands of years ago now have been arbitrarily transferred to the Church which they maintain is the spiritual Israel and has taken the place of literal Israel in God's affections, thereby autocratically claiming that the fulfilment of these promises in the future will be spiritual rather than literal, as were the original prophecies. Thus, the churches are guilty of calling God a liar. Moreover, this teaching, it is alleged, will bring about the gradual spread of Christianity, and blessings of peace and prosperity following this universal spread of the gospel. They believe in a general resurrection of both the good and the bad, together, to be judged before the great white throne. This is apparently interpreted as the coming of the Lord, the appearing of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the end of the age, the coming of the Son of Man. All terms supposed to refer to the same period. This doctrine is reflected in many hymns where Zion is unbiblically believed to refer to heaven in the scriptures rather than Zion, the city of David in Israel. Unfortunately, this man-made theology in recent days has unbelievably resulted in a form of anti-Semitism by clergy within the Anglican and other reformed churches with apparent impunity. You know, as a, just a, in this, here's a quick example of this man-made theology. I suggest that you take a look at a commentary from a prominent uh, supporter of this theory, John Gill. He lived in November 1697 to April 1771, and he's still very popular uh, with reformed teachers. For instance, he comments on the group of parables in Matthew 13 and claims, for some unknown amazing reason, that leaven were referred to in these parables is good. The fowls of the air are good, not the emissaries of Satan as Jesus explained to his disciples and avows that the church would be filled by kings, dignitaries, all flocking into it in latter days and much more. Even though Christ speaking of his return to earth said in Luke 18, verse 7 and 8. And shall not God avenge his own elect? God will revenge, avenge his own elect, the Jewish nation, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? There is, however, another interpretation given in the Scriptures, which to one's mind appears more simplistic and logical, also in relation to interpreting Scripture. Here is just something interesting by Dr. David L. Cooper, an expert on biblical languages and known for his golden rule of interpretation, which is as follows. When the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. When the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Therefore, Take every word at its primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning unless the facts of the immediate context studied in the light of related passages and axiomatic and fundamental truths indicate clearly otherwise. So we would continue and aver, the Old Testament prophecies, except where manifestly figurative, are to receive a literal fulfilment. The promises given to Israel are to be made good to Israel, and not to the Church, in any form. Just read that again. Unless, take everything at its normal value, unless the facts of the immediate context studied in the light of related passages and axiomatic and fundamental truths indicate clearly otherwise. Axiomatic is self-evident, unquestionable. So we would continue and aver the Old Testament prophecies, except where manifestly figurative, are to receive a literal fulfilment. The promises given to Israel are to be made good to Israel and not to the church in any form. The Old Testament prophecies, being those taken from the Church, the New Testament is found to contain no predictions of the universal spread of Christianity, but on the contrary and sadly, forecasts are seen of corruption leading to judgment in the body professing the name of Christ. In the midst of this gloom, however, the prospect of the Lord's coming for his saints, those who have asked Jesus to be their Saviour, shines as a bright hope for the hearts of the faithful. A hope that we look forward to. This coming, the date of which is left undetermined, instead of being at the end of the world is preliminary to the judgments awaiting the world and to the reign of christ with his saints it is commonly given the title the rapture when it occurs the living saints will be caught up to meet the lord in the air this is the first resurrection and the dead in christ will be raised. The judgment seat of Christ will then immediately take place in heaven when Christians will be judged as to how they conducted their lives as Christians. And then follows on earth the great seven year tribulation and the walls which usher in the day of the Lord. Israel will be restored as we shall see In Joel's chapter two and three. Christ will return to earth as prophesied by the two angels to the apostles at our Lord's ascension. Old Testament prophecy will be fulfilled, Satan will be bound on the millennium kingdom and reign of Christ from Jerusalem will be established on earth. At its close. Satan is loosed, the nations rebel again, the world is consumed, and the rest of the dead are judged at the great white throne. The foregoing are of necessity just very brief synopses of these two quite different beliefs of the churches. Now from time to time we may may refer back to the second account of the future as we believe it to be in order to see how it aligns with scripture. An old friend of ours, a few years ago now, a one time Jewish rabbi, explained the position of our earth at present. This is extremely important. And here's what he says. Remember, the Bible is an Eastern book. And therefore you must not read into it Western thought. For if you do, you will bring confusion. But look at God's book from an Eastern point of view and through Eastern eyes. And it will become to you a wonderfully simple, clear book. Before our Lord came to earth in the flesh, the human family was divided into two, the Jew and the Gentile. But since the day of Pentecost, the human family has become divided into three, the Jew, the Gentile and the Church of God. 1 Corinthians 10.32 In view of the above division you must study the word of God from three points of view. What are God's purposes for the Jew or Israel? Then what are God's purposes for the Gentile? And thirdly What are his purposes for the church? If you keep these separate, you will save a great deal of confusion. Do not forget that the Jew is not the Gentile. Neither is the Gentile the church. For in the church there is neither Jew nor Gentile. But the new creation in Christ. Do not read Israel into the church, nor the church into Israel, nor the Gentile nations into Israel or the church. For if you do not carefully study this way, you will not lightly or rightly divide the word of truth. Remember, God has a heavenly people and an earthly people. Do not confuse the two. Who are His heavenly people? The Church of God when he is, whom He is calling out of all peoples, a twice-born people, his new creation in Christ. Second Corinthians 5:14 to 21. His heavenly people, the church, has a heavenly outlook with a heavenly heritage, with a glorious heavenly kingdom before which all earthly glory fades. God has also an earthly people. Who are his earthly people? Of course, all the sons of Jacob. This people is still scattered amongst the Gentiles. A scattered nation amongst the Gentiles. Still without a king. Hosea 3 verse 4. Nationally they are still in unbelief and therefore without Christ. But God will once again gather them and they will be converted to Christ. And during the millennium They will become God's instrument in leading the then living Gentile nations to Christ. But remember, their promises are all earthly promises for an earthly people, for an earthly kingdom. And that awaits fulfilment for them until they are converted at the coming of Christ in glory and majesty and power. For the clear understanding of Scripture, do not mix them with God's heavenly people, the Church, who will have been called out previous to Christ's coming for Israel. First Thessalonians four sixteen to 18 So if you are a member of the Church of God, you will be taken out of this scene at the coming of Christ. Remember also that God's earthly people will not see God's face until they pass through the afflictions, a time called in the Bible a time of jacob's trouble jeremiah 30, verse first seven also called the great tribulation matthew twenty four twenty one and revelation seven verse fourteen Therefore we find in Hosea these words, and these are very interesting, these words, God speaking, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offence and seek my face. In their afflictions they will seek me early. Hosea 5 verse 15 This prophet spoke the prophecy to and of Israel in fact this tribulation is not only going to be a time of sorrow to god's earthly people israel but to all the christ rejecting world for it will be worldwide as seen from isaiah chapter 24 and here's what it says a knowledge 24. A knowledge of Jewish customs and Jewish history is of course most helpful when reading the Bible and the study of Jewish laws and sacrifices brings the New Testament alive when viewed as we see them perfected in Jesus Christ. As the last great prophet John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John 1 verse 29 As you have just read, the Jews will experience a very troubled period, but eventually a wonderful thing will happen. The fulfilment of all the prophecies relating to the millennium and the promises made to the patriarchs, including the sure mercies of David, Isaiah 55 verse 3 Incline your ear and come unto me, hear and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Acts 13 verse 34 And as concerning that he raised up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. What are these sure mercies of David? 2 Samuel 7 verse 10 and verse 12 to 16. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness affect them any more as before time. And when thy days be fulfilled, and this is the prophet Nathan speaking to David, and when thy days be fulfilled, and when thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and I will set thy seed after thee, which shall be shall proceed which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, so as I was, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thy kingdom and thy house shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. And that's the end of his, uh, this friend of ours, his quotations. And this is a necessity, a very convoluted opening to my main reason for speaking this morning. We have been concerned that many of our friends and acquaintances are disquieted, worried, or perplexed in these strange days of living with this virus. At the commencement, we said, I will not be able to answer such questions. but shall look at some possible comments from the Bible, the Word of God, which might be of interest. There are just two types of people listening to our talk this morning. All the various mixed peoples in the world narrowed down to a choice of just one or two types. Protestant or Catholic Jew or Muslim Black or white Rich or poor Labour or conservative Generous or tight-fisted No, none of those These two types are just not what I have dreamed up but rather they are about what Jesus said When he was talking to a group of everyday sort of people, listen carefully to what he said. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads to destruction and eternal loss. And there are many who go through it. But... Small is the gate, and narrow and difficult to travel is the path that leads to everlasting life. And there are few who find it. Matthew 7 verse 13 and 14 Two ways, two distinct types of travellers, I must decide on which road i am travelling and then look over in mark chapter 10 verse 17 to 22 talking about jesus again and when he had gone forth into the way there came one running and kneeled before him and asked good master What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but God. None good, he said, but God, indicating that he was God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honour thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed. From my youth. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. The young man was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. This young man, just like most people we meet who think that good works merit them going to heaven. This young man also thought that he had to do something He had done a lot, but he still thought he had to do more. But this man had one problem, his riches. And they were a bigger attraction than simply accepting the way Jesus said, to follow me. A while back, we celebrated Easter, a remembrance that Christ lovingly died on the cross at Calvary for me. I cannot do anything to help Jesus with my salvation except to accept what he said, to thank him for loving me, accept his free gift of salvation. And then to follow him. But if we fail to do that, we are still travelling on that road, that broad road, which Jesus said leads to destruction and eternal loss. And there are many who enter through it. Now, for those who are following Jesus, we shall look at another occasion when Jesus was talking to a number of scribes and Pharisees in the temple, his father's house, and read Matthew uh, when you have time chapters twenty three and twenty four and this again is very important. He strongly accused he strongly accused the scribes and Pharisees of total hypocrisy. In the last few verses of Matthew chapter 23, Jesus weeps over his beloved city. We read in the beginning of John's Gospel, he came unto his own and his own received him not. His nation, his brethren, had rejected him. He knew the future for his chosen people was going to be difficult. And this grieved him so much. And he, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you, desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, and ye say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And so in Matthew 24 he left the temple, never to return to it. He forewarned his disciples of the destruction of the temple, and then away from the crowds, privately he sat down on the Mount of Olives with them. And I suppose that naturally the disciples wondered when all this looming disaster would come. Tell us, when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars see that ye be not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. That's in Matthew 24, verses 4 to 8. Jesus commands, take heed. Take heed is used about 65 times in the Bible. So when we see take heed, we should sit up and take notice. Now, as we listen to the news every day, We may feel depressed, concerned, nervous and wonder where it will all end. But Jesus says and gives us a pretty good list of events which would not be out of place in any TV news broadcast today. Wars and rumours of wars, earthquakes, famine, pestilences and so on. And because of the situation in which the world now finds itself, we must all consider the warnings by the Lord Jesus Christ. False religion, wars and reports of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, the beginning of sorrows for the Jews especially, but will include all those who will not be taken away in the rapture, as we said before. This list of wars in verses four to eight appear to occur before the rapture of the church. Also they are included in those war woes found in Revelation. We should be aware that there will be false teachers attacking the truths of God's word and also seek through studying the Holy Scriptures to put on the whole armour of God to stand against the enemy. Otherwise we may be deceived. National wars and smaller skirmishes should also be expected, perhaps nearer home than abroad. Famines are rife throughout our world. One can see this occurring in some way should this present virus continue for a considerable length of time. And now we come to pestilences. God used pestilences on occasions throughout Scripture in the Old Testament times. Pestilence is a deadly disaster, usually a disease that affects an entire community. Pestilences are contagious, virulent, and devastating. For example, the black plague was a pestilence in Europe that killed over 30% of the population during the Middle Ages. In the Bible, Pestilence is usually a sign of God's judgment on a nation or a people group. If you look at Deuteronomy 32.24 and Chronicles and Ezekiel, we have plenty of evidences of these uh, attacks. The God who protects and blesses is also the God who sends disaster and pestilence when it accomplishes his righteous purposes on earth. And that's important. The God who protects and blesses is also the God who sends disaster and pestilence when it accomplishes his righteous purposes on earth. And read these few verses when you get a chance, Isaiah forty five verse seven, Ezekiel five, sixteen to seventeen, and Amos chapter four verse ten. Pestilences are promised as part of God's wrath on the world that rejected his beloved son Jesus described in Revelation eighteen verse eight as occurring during the Great Tribulation. This judgment, the likes of which will never before have been experienced by mankind. Pestilence and stench often seem to accompany famine. In the book of Joel, we see one such pestilence. We are now living in a wicked world. And must be prepared for attacks from Satan, the prince of the power of the earth. So turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. The Apostle Paul speaking. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, wherefore, because of that, take unto you the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to withstand in an evil day. And having done all, to stand, stand therefore, stand therefore, having your loins girthed about with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. God has graciously and lovingly given us his word, which contains many passages warning us of dangers on the road of life. And we should be ready and prepared. Going back to Matthew 24 and verses 37-39 to where Jesus refers to the days of the time of Noah. Genesis describes this as a time of great wickedness. So God destroyed the earth with a flood. Jesus here declares that as the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man. So let us take heed uh, that no man deceive us. Living near to our cottage in Ireland was a countryman who was a bit of a local celebrity. I never remember seeing him ride a bicycle, sit in a bus, sit in a car (coughs) or train. He walked everywhere and was known far and wide. He gained his notoriety from his skill as a weather forecaster. Local farmers would seek out his forecasts while anglers could be seen chatting to him over river banks inquiring as to the possibility or not of rain as he traversed the countryside there was nothing sinister or mystical about his knowledge he just used his common sense and observation of the clouds the winds and skies as he walked along had the white thorn been out early this year why were the swallows flying high with the cows lying in the fields. All these and many other signs were to him so obvious, but to those of us who did not bother to take time to look out for them, and it worked. His forecasts for us locals were at least 100% better than the man on the wireless. We All are familiar with the saying, Red sky at night, shepherd's delight, Red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. Some Pharisees approached Jesus and they wanted a sign from heaven as to when he would come again. He replied, When it is evening, ye say, it will be fair weather. For the sky is red. And in the morning it shall be foul weather, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? Matthew 16, verses 2 and 3. Not exactly. I'm sure the reply they expected from Jesus. Jesus was saying that contained in Scripture were prophecies which forecast his coming as the Messiah of the Jews. But in spite of these, they had refused to acknowledge him. We too have been given many signs of his coming, to take believers away in the rapture. And we should be living in that great expectation as Paul said to Titus. Chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation unto all men, it hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from iniquity and pure Refy unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. He was looking always for a people, not an odd people, and it says peculiar, but a special people, who are zealous of doing good works for their saviour, and so keep reading God's word. Take heed to what you read and learn, to simply follow the paths of righteousness, and look forward to that blessed hope, the rapture of the church. Remember Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever." Where he will lead me, I will go, for I have learned to trust him so, and I remember, t'was for me, that he was slain on Calvary. Onward I go, nor doubt, nor fear, happy with Christ my Saviour near, trusting that I some day shall see Jesus my friend of Calvary jesus shall lead me night and day jesus shall lead me all the way he is the dearest friend to me when i remember calvary amen